Was it good? Was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater, too. Feel your love of Broadway anew on Backstage Babble. Hi, this is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am honored to be joined by my guest, Tony-winning director Kenny Leon, who is helming the production of Pearly Victorious that started previews on Broadway this week. His other Broadway direction credits include Ohio State Murders, which he was working on at the time of our conversation, Top Dog Underdog, A Soldier's Play, Children of a Lesser God, Holler If You Hear Me, The Mountaintop, A Raisin in the Sun, Stick Fly, Fences, and Radio Golf, among many others. He's also directed Dynasty, Gossip Girl, Hairspray Live, and The Wiz Live on screen, and The Tap Dance Kid, Trading Places, Hamlet, King James, and more around the country. And now, without further ado, here's Kenny Leon. So, I would love to begin by asking you, you're of course directing two plays on Broadway this season alone, and the one you're currently working on I know is Ohio State Murders, and so how did this first come about, this production we, we we did this last year with uh jeffrey richards producer jeffrey richards um during the pandemic uh we were raising money for the actors fund and uh so we uh jeffrey actually suggested the play and then we engaged Audra mcdonald and we put a group of people together and you know worked over three or four days and then presented it virtually and uh during that experience i really really realized what a powerful what a powerful, powerful play and story it was. And I remember in college, we did The Ohio State Murders by Adrian Kennedy. And I was like, wow, she's such a gifted writer. And then I, during that time, I just, I saw it in my mind's eye on a Broadway stage. And I said, if only we could get um, Audra to do this. And I, you know, I mentioned it one time to Audra and she was like, yes, I'm in. And so we're both, we're in number one because of Adrian Kennedy, and she deserves this, and she needs the world to know what a wonderful writer she is and how much she's given to this country. Uh, I think it empowers young people to just write their own individual stories, and no matter how different they may appear, how unique they are, it's it's great to write to write your stories, write your truth, and Adrian Kennedy is a great example of that. So that's how it came about. Oh, yes, definitely. And what is your collaboration like with Audra McDonald? I know you worked together on your first Broadway show, A Raisin in the Sun. Oh, yeah, that's uh, Audra is one of one of my favorite uh, actors to work with. She is a dear, dear friend. And when we worked on A Raisin in the Sun, we promised each other we would get back in the rehearsal room and do something on stage together. And uh, as time would have it, we ended up doing... Uh, you know, private practice and some other television things and then a couple of workshops, but we never got back in the room until now. So that's almost, that was 2005 when we did uh, Raising the Sun on Broadway. And then we also did the movie for ABC. And so that's been, what, 10, 15, that's 10, yeah, 15, 16, 17 years. So it's taken that long. And it's not because 
we haven't planned to get in the room. We we have been willing this for the last decade to be back in the room. So I love in, being in the room with her because she's an actress that's capable of capable of doing anything. And she is embracing of the idea of push me harder, push me further. And uh, so we sort of we we sort of push each other as artists. And that's a great feeling at this at this stage. It's just a great, great, great feeling to be in a room with an artist that's going to push you as hard as you're pushing them. And when you're reviving a play by a living author, as, as you are, do you like to have them in the room a lot or involved very much in the production or? Not, 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 not really. It just depends on the situation. You know, uh, um, you know, Miss Kennedy is uh, 91 years old and she lives in Virginia. So, you know, it's uh, uh, unable to have her in the room. But uh, Audra has kept... Uh, you know, like twice a week, they talk on the phone, and probably every other day, me and Miss Kennedy exchange emails, and she she writes the most interesting, engaging, uh, wonderful emails that sort of remind you what the play is about, sort of reminds you what it was like in 1950, uh, sort of reminds you of the things she's seen in the world. So, you know, we have a relationship in, in a sort of a different way than. I had with August Wilson when he was sitting in the room and they would go down the hall and rewrite and come back or it's different than other writers. But uh, I would have to say, uh, Adrian Kennedy, this relationship probably is the experience of my lifetime. And oh. to become really, really aware of who she is, her power, her poetry, her character development, her visual storytelling, I, I think she stands alone uh, for on my Mount Everett of theater. I think she is... She is at the very, the very top. Uh, and I've worked with some pretty amazing writers. And I would love to go back a little bit in time and ask you how you first met August Wilson. And... I met August Wilson when I was a directing fellow for the National Endowment for the Arts uh, Theater Communications Group directing fellow. And I was uh, uh, being mentored at Center Stage in uh, Baltimore, Maryland under the great Stan Wojewoski. And I traveled to New York for the first first time in, I think it was 1989 or something, and uh, as a part of that fellowship. And I took a group of people to, to New York to see my first Broadway play, which was August Wilson's Fences, starring James Earl Jones, where we're producing, directing this play we're working on now, James Earl Jones and Mary Alice. And I had never felt anything like that. And of course, afterwards, I met August and... We made a, we, 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 he said, well, I, th I think you're going to, I think you're going to be something amazing one day in this country. If you ever need me, just call me. You can always do my plays. And a year later, I was named associate artistic director of the Alliance Theater Company. And I had to call him to say, I need a play. And it was, it was Joe Turner's Come and Gone. And that was my first uh, play in that new position. And then two years later, I was named artistic director. And that then I directed Fences. And then when I started True Colors Theater Company in Atlanta, I did Fences as an inaugural production. And I had August Wilson come to Atlanta to, to toast that theater into existence. And I'll never, never forget that, you know. So yeah, he's a central part of my life. Uh, we did all 10 plays at the Kennedy Center after his death. I've directed three of his plays on Broadway. And and uh, he's my uh, shining light. Uh, 
you know, forever. And it is, it's not just about his work. He's a, a, the kind of mentor that has inspired many of us. And, um, and he wasn't my official, I wasn't, a, he wasn't my official mentor. He was indirectly mentoring me like he's done so many artists in this country. And uh, I think he would, he would be smiling right now, seeing what we're doing with Ohio State Murders, you know, so. And what did you as a director like or not like about the tryout process, the extensive tryout process that his plays had of his plays? I, I didn't see it was a, a, a tryout process. I think that was just the way he developed his plays, you know, going around the country to six or seven theaters and refining them and working on them and changing artists and, you know, getting contribution from other artists. And so I thought it was an amazing way to for the regional theaters and Broadway to be in relationship with each other. So I thought it was an amazing uh, model of, of how to get um, important plays to Broadway. Oh, yes. And what was the experience like of working on his radio golf, of course, posthumously, his, the final play? It was great because that was right in the middle. That was, you know, he was going through his health issues at the beginning, you know, and so I missed him a lot in, in, you know, being in the room and down the hall, but I, I shared time with him on the off days a few times and, you know, and, 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 and sat on his porch with him as he, some days we talked about the plays, about the play, and some days we didn't, we talked about life. And I'll never forget that time with him because it's helped me become a better artist, specifically a better black artist in America. Uh, so that was to bring Radio Golf to New York with uh, the producers Jack Fertel and Margot Lyon to bring that in, uh, Jeffrey Richards, to do it also at the James Earl Jones Theater, which was at that time the Court Theater. Right. Uh, so it was very, that was very, um, very special to me. Oh, yes. And is there a specific piece of advice from him that you take with you or remember a lot? Uh, you, have to keep, you have to keep demanding respect and everything that you need is contained in your culture and and your life is as valuable as anyone's life oh, that's a great a great piece of advice definitely and another uh playwright that you've worked with more than once is lydia r diamond who wrote stick fly and then and what is your collaboration like with her i love lydia lydia's uh one of the smartest writers I've ever met. You know, I love her intellect. I love her comedy. I love her skill set. Uh, we did Stick Fly on Broadway. We're working on another project right now, the uh, musical of the help coming from the, the 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 black women's point of view, which I'm excited to develop that with her. But I I, I love Lydia. She's a an important American writer. Oh yes. And what is your casting process like as a director? Um, you know, I think I don't cast plays. I think they cast themselves. Oh. When they, when an actor walked in, walks in, and and reads somewhat from the play or whatever, they they cast themselves. And then over time, I develop a relationship with actors I want to work with over and over again. Um, so that's sort of important too. I like working with actors I've worked with multiple times, and I like working with new actors as well, like Mr. Fitzgerald uh, and Abby, who are both in. Uh, and in, uh, in uh, Ohio State Murders. I like working with folks like uh, Corey Hawkins, who I've been dying to work with, who's in my production of Top Dog, Underdog, and Yaya Mateen, our first time working together. So I like um, 
I like that stable of cross-generational actors. You know, I work, I like, when I did Hairspray Live, I worked with, you know, Ariana Grande and, and Matty Balio and, and those young folks, but I also work with uh, uh, Harvey Firestein and, uh, and uh, uh, Kristen Chenoweth. And so I, I, I like talent and I don't think talent, talent has an age, talent is all of us. So, uh, yeah. And do you ever find that there's any sort of difference when you're directing someone who's more of an established star, no matter their age, rather than? I think that um, um, I treat I treat everybody the same, but different. <laughs> my my I, I'm sort of demanding the same thing. I'm demanding the truth, and the truth is 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 right there in the script. You know, the script will tell us everything we need. So, uh, but of certain people have earned um they've earned status because of their career so you 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 there's slight different slightly different relationships i'm different in the room with denzel washington and angela bassett and samuel l jackson and kristen chenoweth and harvey firestein uh, but they're they're the same as 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 as, as daniel brooks and corey hawkins and those young people um uh, it's like, uh, so I treat them the same, but I treat them differently. Uh, right. I, I give something to the idea that if you've been doing this for a long time, you have gained some wisdom. And some uh, more experienced actors have more wisdom than the ones just starting out. But I treat them equal, <laughs> if right. you want. Mm -hmm. And what will make you accept or turn down a play or a musical? Oh, if it if it steps on my morals or my ethics or if it disrespects any group of people, uh, I'm about uh, I'm about harmony. I thrive in harmony. I'm about people and how we treat each other while we're spending our time on the planet. Uh, but anything that's uh, hateful, uh, uh, some things uh, and some things are not for me. You know, I think there are different directors. I think there's room for all of us as directors. And if I'm doing a movie, for instance. I'm not the guy to do the the car chases, you know. That's that's not me. But um, when you're dealing with uh, the dynamics of being human, uh, if you love stories, I really love. Uh, so I'm 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 into picking plays that I think, even if they're tough plays, I want them to um, to sort of heal and mend uh, what's broke in us as humans. And when you are working on a play like Top Dog Underdog that has a lot of sort of tension in it and things like that, how do you manage to do that without making it too sort of overwhelming for the audience and finding that balance? I don't know. I just look to tell the truth, you know, and uh, with Top Dog, uh, that play to me, it, it wasn't about the tension or the inevitability of what would happen. It was more about the love and joy that all human beings trying to hold on to. So with that production, I, I pushed the joy and the love until we couldn't push it anymore. That was my approach to it. Uh, so I think people can smell fake and phony, but the truth is undeniable. So I'm always in pursuit of the truth. And, the, and, what, and, and I want people to take something away from that that impacts or inspires their life today. I don't want people to feel hopeless. And I think at the end of Top Dog, it's sort of instructions about what we can do better. It's like uh, 
It's like, we need to love on humanity a little more. We need to love on difference a little more. And I thought that production captured all of that. Oh, yes. And you mentioned uh, Fences being the first Broadway play that you saw. And so what was it like for you when you were tasked with directing it with Denzel Washington? And Well, I never thought about the that production. I always treat every revival like it's a new play. So I read it five times in a row again. And I said, what comes to mind? I look at the world we're living in at the period. What was it like uh, in 2010, politically, educationally? And I try to put that flavor into the production. So I'm never comparing anything I'm doing to any other production that anybody else has done, nor am I comparing it to any production that I've done. Like I did both Broadway productions of, of uh, A Raisin in the Sun. But I never thought about the first one when I was doing the second one. And is there a play of August Wilson's that you think would feel especially relevant now? Oh, yeah, many. I think Two Trains Running would be really amazing. I think King Haley II would be amazing. Oh, yes. And when do you decide to act in your works, as I know you occasionally do? I just think, when I don't know, it just depends. Uh, I'm only going to act in a way that it helps me become a better director. So if there's an opportunity for me to become a better director, then I'll visit that because it spills over into my directing. So I'll act in something, oh, it's going to help me learn how to speak to the actor differently or going to help me understand the dynamics of character development in a way that I hadn't thought about. So that, that's all. And in the rehearsal room, do you like to start with a lot of reading or do you like to start with sort of getting it up right away or? Yeah, I don't like table. Okay. I don't like I don't like table talk. <laughs> I think anybody could talk. So I probably I I talk as long as I need to until the baby is ready to walk. Once the baby is able to walk, then I get us on our feet. Uh, anybody can talk for five, six, seven, eight days, but I want to get get actors on their feet and see what they really can do, and then start shaping the story. And. What is your process like with hiring a design team? I know you have some designers who you work with often. And... Uh, it just depends. I like to work with, uh, I like diversity is at the core of, of my design teams, has always been. So I'm always interested in racial diversity, gender diversity, uh, generational diversity. I always look, try to get a, a, a young person, an older person, a black person, an Asian person. Uh, you know, I just try to uh, mix it up. Uh, and usually every production, I like to work with somebody I haven't worked with before. And do you often have a vision of what the play will look like on stage just as you're reading it in terms of the design elements or? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the first time I read the play five times and then I write down on a piece of paper what words come to my mind, what metaphors come to mind. And then I meet with the set designer and then we talk through those images and those metaphors. And when we get a shape to that, then we invite the other designers to be a part of that process. But I'm always very clear uh, uh, the shows that I do, like even uh, Top Dog, that started with me saying, I know there's an American flag, but I don't know what it looks like. Then it's like, well, what about if it's an American flag dipped in gold to sort of explore the what's happening between the haves and the have-nots? So that became the beginning of that Uh you know, when talking with Beowulf about Ohio State murders, we, we talked about a, a law library and he said, wonder what it must have felt like when uh, when 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 she found out her her second baby had died. And he says, oh, wow, that's 
let me let me do something. And he came back with this abstract version of an imploded uh, law library, which sort of guided us to, you know, and then we'll invite the other designers and we'll start talking about other things as it relates to the set. But I always start with sets first. And what appeals to you about doing musicals as opposed to plays? I know you don't do them quite as often, but. I do them when I can. I mean, I, I don't look at it as uh, I see myself as a storyteller. So I tell my agents at CAA, I was like, there's 12 months in a year. I just want to tell stories. And we just got to figure out, is this an opera, which I've, you know, I've done Toni Morrison's opera. Is it a live musical like Hairspray Live and The Wiz Live? Is it like a TV movie like the Mahalia Jackson story or Steel Magnolias or Raising in the Sun? The Watsons go to Birmingham. Uh, is it a drama? Is it a is it a musical like I'm working on Trading Places, the musical now, and that's in development. The Help, the musical that's in development. Drumline, the musical that's in development. So I have a lot of things. It's just like it, it's it's a subject matter that I'm drawn to. And sometimes it's a musical, and sometimes it's a drama, and sometimes it's TV, and sometimes it's film. So I never try to put myself in a in a box. Uh, I'm always just trying to tell great stories that I think will impact lives. And I would love to ask about the process of doing those live musicals and sort of figuring out the camera angles and, and all of that. Um, no, I mean, you're always working with, uh, you're working with a TV, uh, a TV director. So you combine a TV director and a theater director together and you sort of see it in your mind's eye about how to do it. And then um, I let the DP do their work. So then they come to me and show me what, what angles can capture my vision. I have to be clear about telling them what I see. And then I leave it up to the professionals to then try to match the camera looks with what I see. And then we see that and agree on that and say, oh, that's it, or that's not it. Um, but yeah, that's, that was a great experience, all those TV. And, the, and Hairspray Live was very different from The Wiz Live. The Wiz Live was with LED screens, you know, LED screens. And, and uh, Hairspray Live was was outside on the lot at uh, at at Universal. So there was very two very different approaches to live musicals. You know, uh, Hairspray Live had a few audience members, not in the love scenes or the intimate scenes when there would be no audience, but places where there would be audience, then we had audience in that. The Wiz had no audience. So it just depends on what the story is needed, what ne is needed from the story. And another musical that you directed, which I got to see and loved, was the Tap Dance Kid at Encores this season. And what was it like to sort of approach that show and find your own vision for it? That was great. That was that was a great process. I like working with Jerry Grimes, uh, who choreographed it and worked with Tap and and Joshua and all all the cast were really wonderful. Um, I mean, I, I think with that show, a couple of the couple of the critics killed it because they didn't understand what we were trying to do. And I hate that because I would love to see Tap, Tap Dance Kids should be on Broadway. It, it is an amazing, amazing story. And I think uh, with a little work, it could be really, really beautiful. So if there's any any piece that I would want to do that I may not get the opportunity to do, that would be it. Tap Dance Kid, I would love to do that on Broadway. Oh, yes. And what is your viewpoint generally on critics and reviews? Do you pay attention to them? Do you try to... Sometimes I pay attention. Most of the time I read them after 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 I've done all the work and the show has been running for two or three weeks. But in these new times, uh, because, you know, it's hard to decide who's coming to the theater and when they will come. I, I, I sort of been looking at them more, more now. 
Um, but I love, I love, and, and we need writers. We need critics. You know, that's part of our industry. They are our collaborators. But, you know, a good critic to me is someone who tries to assess what the director or what the designers, what the visionaries were trying to say and were they successful at doing it. So the most frustrating part sometimes is when someone's, when they want what you're doing to be what they want and not not critiquing or analyzing what's on stage. And I don't care if someone says it's bad or good, you know what I mean? The human part of you always want good, but I don't care. I just want someone to to sort of get inside of like, what were they trying to do? Why would why would these artists do this? Why would Kenny Leon do this? But what is he trying to do? What is he trying to say to me? And come from that point of view and attack it and tear it up or whatever you want to do. But that's my, uh, I know great, 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 great critics do that. And 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 there are a few people out there who, who do that. And then there are probably about 80% of the other people that don't do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, lo I, lo I love, I love a good critic. I love a fair critic. I love a critic who's trying to analyze what's on the stage and not trying to tell you what what to see. And are there directors that you look up to or admire, whether they be living or dead? Or um, you said writers like uh, like oh I, oh I thought I was gonna say yeah yeah there's I like I like some of the things that uh, Jesse Green's writing about. I like some of the things that Marks talk about from the writing side. Uh, but even sometimes they don't get it right. So it, it is what it is. But uh, but you asked me, you didn't say critics, you asked me what? Uh, directors. Directors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Casey Nicolau. I, I, don't think oh. anyone, I don't think anyone does a better musical than Casey Nicolau. I think he, he, it's like every time I see something that he does, especially this new Some Like It Hot, it's like, it's like it's a master class of like, you know, how to do a musical, you know, the, everything is in sync, everything is working together, you know, uh, down to the last note and the beginning of the next scene. And uh, he's just great. So I love, I love Casey. I love Michael, Michael Grief, uh, Greif, Michael. I love, um, man, who does I love? Oh, uh, my, my, my guy at uh, Lincoln Center who did My Fair Lady, My Fair oh, Lady. Uh, Bartlett Cher. Uh, yeah, I like, uh, I like, uh, I like Ruben Santiago Jones, um, Ruben San Santiago Hudson. Um, um, so there are a lot of, lot of, lot of artists I respect and uh, I love. A lot, a lot of my colleagues out here, I admire. I love designers like Natasha Katz and Alan Lee Hughes. And I love walking down Broadway now and walking you know, on one side of the street, you can see Stoppard, walk across the street, see August Wilson, walk across the street, see Susan Laurie Parks, walk down the street, see Adrian Kennedy, walk across, I love the variety of uh, some like it hot, almost famous. I love the variety now. And and we know all these, all the plays are not all making like, you know, gang up box office like we were before, but, but they are making money. And the fact that people are in the theater at all now is really, really amazing to me and after two years of COVID I, I just love it you know what I mean I love the fact that people are back out now Broadway is alive and variety is there and of course we can do better in in, in America and we can do better on Broadway in terms of telling everybody's story embracing everybody uh, giving platforms for for gay stories and trans stories and black stories and Jewish stories and all those sorts we got to do a better job better job um uh, and we're doing, but I think we're moving in the right direction. Oh, yeah. 
That's great. And what made you decide to join the producing side of things for something like it, Harden? Uh, I think that after George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's death, I thought it was important to be a part of teams that were trying to trying to be different. And that was a fun old school musical. I love I love Casey Nikoloff, as I said. But to be a part of that team with Neil Marin, who I've done a lot of, and, and Bob Greenblatt, who I did the live musicals with, and they asked me to be a part of that. So to be a part of that with them, there was trust already. And I thought there was a, there was a place for me just in terms of understanding how to, how, how to uh, make sure uh, we told the story the right way with the right people. Uh, and we created a musical for everybody. That was really important. And, and, and you know, and to be in a relationship with the Schuberts as a as one of the producers on it was important as well. Oh yeah. And as a director, who do you like to, or who will you sort of take notes from in the room? Do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. When I'm in, I'm a master collaborator. You know, my job is to set the parameters and then to realize who I have in the room, and then let them find themselves in our story within my parameters. You know. But uh, it's all about taking notes from the people in the room and not taking notes from the people out the room. Right. Particularly with insight from, from them after you've after you finished your masterpiece. You know, so many times people want to come uh, in our business and give notes while you're still painting the picture. I'm not finished yet. Let me finish. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think the hardest thing to hold on to in America is um, the singular vision, you know, the idea of a... Just that one vision. And as director, your job is to try to get everybody to agree on what is our story? What's the tone of our story? What are we doing? Let's all of us, let's all tell the same story. Um, so, yeah, it's nothing more beautiful than collaboration, though. It's like when you cannot figure out who who had that idea. Where did that idea come from? Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And that's beautiful. And I'd love to ask about the mountaintop, a play you did with Samuel L. Jackson, and what was your sort of research process like for that play? And Charles, you must be writing a book, man. You asked <laughs> <everything. laughs> uh, That was great. Sam Sam Jackson is a friend of mine and been a lifelong, lifelong friend. He is my uh, he he mentors me. Uh, I probably don't make any important professional decision without checking in with him. So that was really important uh, to me at that time. And Angela Bassett and I grew up in the same uh, uh, same town in St. Petersburg, Florida, you know. So we have been friends for a long time. So that, that production is real special for me, working with two two giants in the industry. And um, and I thought Katori Hall wrote quite a, quite a wonderful play. So that, I have nothing but joy when I think about creating the mountaintop. And when you're casting a show with real life figures in it, do you like to pay attention to the actors looking like the real people did or anything like that? Or do you think that that's not as important? I think it is important. I think that when we did my mountaintop, I think, you know, um, Sam had a wig, he had a mustache. He's, he's, he got his version of Dr. K was, Dr. King was in, in that. So I think it's, I think it's important uh, if it's a historical figure. I think you have to have some resemblance to it, but you have to also, you can't get into trying to mimic the person. You know what I mean? You just got to find the truth in it. So everybody knows it's not the real person. So, but you do want to give a little hint to what the person, who the person was and, and, and a slight resemblance of that person. Right. 
And you've worked with, as we've talked about, so many of the great actors, but is there another person that you've always wanted to direct or would still like to? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, um, Helen Mirren. Um, you know, I want to do something else with, uh, I did a workshop with Katie Holmes. I love Katie Holmes. I want to do something, something else with Samuel L. Jackson. Um, I want to work with Viola Davis again. I would love to work with Adam Driver, uh, Woody Harrison. And I'd love to ask about your experience directing uh, Children of a Lesser God and including the deaf actors and, and all of that. And Well, I think that's when my career started changing because uh, Lauren Ridloff, who's gone on to be quite famous, uh, Lauren uh, and playing the lead in that role against Joshua Jackson, she was just amazing. She introduced me to the deaf and hard of hearing communities and, and just without even knowing it, taught me a lot uh, about visual storytelling. So all my work since then is greater visual storytelling. You, you almost can, you know, plug up your ears and you can see the story unfold and it speaks in a very different way. And I attribute all of that to my friends in the deaf and hard of hearing community. Um, I know I'm not doing nearly enough to uh, to bring them into our, uh, uh, to all of the productions, but they have truly made me a better artist. Oh, yes. And I'd also love to talk about uh, Much Ado About Nothing, which you did in the park. And what was it like to work with that unconventional space? And It's not unconventional. I love working in that space. It's outdoors. It's breathing the same air as the artist. It's looking up at the stars. It's, you know, doing something that's 500, 600 years old and making it relevant to today's climate. I thought we did Much Ado. We set Much Ado in 2020. And, you know, so you bring, you push Shakespeare into the world of Stacey Abrams, who was a good politician and friend of mine. And and then you had um, um, Danielle Brooks, you know, uh, the first, what I guess what some people call plus size woman. I, I just think she's a beautiful woman, but playing a, a, a Beatrice that's, that looks different than, than most people playing that role. I thought it was really amazing. Uh, the work that uh, Jason Michael Webb did with music and Camille Brown did with choreography. And that cast, it's just, it's really beautiful. I, I really like doing things in the park. So I look forward to doing something else out in the park. Oh, yes. And do you have a favorite venue on Broadway to work at, a favorite theater to? I, I like the Barrymore. I like the Barrymore. Barrymore is my favorite theater, but, uh, you know, any Broadway theater is a good theater. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you get any one of those 41, you get any one of those 41 theaters and can, Consider yourself lucky. And is there a show that we were talking about this a little bit with the tap dance kid, but is there a show that you especially feel should have come to Broadway that you worked on that didn't end up doing so? Or No, tap dance kid's probably the only one. And I'm working on trading places. And I hope that gets here. Trading places, the musical. So I'm hoping that happens. But no, that's about it. I'm, I, I consider myself lucky and having directed, I don't 13, 14 Broadway plays and have a couple Broadway plays next year. That's pretty lucky for a country boy from Tallahassee, Florida. Yeah. And so I know the play that you were working on right as the pandemic hit was a soldier's play. And how did you first receive the news about the shutdown and, and all of that? Well, we were almost finished with our run, so it didn't affect us uh, a big deal. But uh, I remember during that time, it was 
it was kind of uh, frightening because no one knew what was going to come next. And we were, we were, we, we do Broadway plays and musicals and that's the most anti COVID thing could happen. Right. You know? <laughs> so we didn't know what was going to happen. And, and as fate would have it, I ended up doing a TV movie during that time. So I did the Mahalia Jackson story with Daniel Brooks, who, who did much ado for me. Um, but, um, yeah, I think these. I think the. I think the reset was actually good. I think it it allows us to refocus on what's important. What kind of stories need to be told? How much are we charging for those stories? Uh, you know, what's important to people? Um, so I, I think these last two years were were really important. I think we were headed to some. You know, I think we're headed to better places now. Now that we've all had a chance to think about our connectedness to each other, how important that is. And do you feel that anything about your style as a director in terms of being in the room and all of that has changed since the pandemic because of the pandemic or? Uh, I don't know, probably, I'm probably more of a preacher. I've, I've, always, <laughs> I've always tried to share, share life stories in the rehearsal process, but I guess now I'm, more, I'm reminded of how important our stories are. So I always take time to let the room talk about what's happening in their lives and seeing how that can impact the work. And we talked about um, Much Ado About Nothing and Raising the Sun, which were two plays that ended up on film. And what do you like about putting your own work on, your stage work onto film? It just depends. Some of it is appropriate to be on film and some of it's not. So um, um, I like both. I like I like the camera and I like stage and I like doing all of it. And doing film helps me become a better stage director and doing stage helps me become a better uh, television director. So, yeah. And what do you think it is about those two mediums that sort of complement each other like that? And uh, Just because you have to work differently. I mean, on TV is faster. Uh, theater has rehearsal. How do you get to rehearsal? in five minutes versus the rehearsals you will have in theater, which is four or five weeks. And you just learn how to do that and you learn what's important. You learn connecting the dots for television actors is really important when you have time to explore that in the theater. So how do you get that on the stage? And when you bring film actors to the stage, uh, I have a shorthand in talking to those those actors. So I can, I can help uh, actors who are trying to transition from film to stage as well. And you mentioned that the projects you do all come from the stories that you want to tell. And is there another story that you'd like to adapt in some way? No, I think I'm I think I'm working on all the things that are, you know, from drumline to the help to Heather Belafonte story to uh, there's so many, yeah, all the stuff that I'm working on, working on um yeah, next next season I'll do Our Town, so I always want to do that. So, yeah. And what has it been like to look at that classic play and and reimagine it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, with that, it's like, uh, I, uh, I think Our Town is a beautiful play once you let everybody in the play. <laughs> so if the people in the play don't look like the people in the world, then you won't recognize its great its greatness. And then the very last question I'd love to ask is, with such a great career in the theater, what advice would you give to somebody just starting out? Uh, just 
have a strong spiritual center and don't let anyone tell you you can't do something. Oh. Just be, just try, just try, just try. It's like August Wilson said, it's out there for someone. It may as well be out there for you. That is great advice. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's uh, been good luck in your career. I appreciate you. Oh, thank Listeners, you. thank you for tuning in and make sure to come back next time when I am joined by theater writer Douglas Cohen. Douglas has two very exciting projects happening now. First, his memoir, How to Survive a Killer Musical, about his journey as the lyricist, composer, and librettist of the musical No Way to Treat a Lady was just released, and a studio album of his musical The Big Time, featuring Santino Fontana, Jackie Hoffman, and more, was also just released. In addition to these projects, Douglas has also authored or co-authored the musicals The Gig, The Opposite of Sex, Children's Letters to God, Glimmerglass, and more. You won't want to miss this episode, so make sure to tune back in for that, and thanks for listening.